Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast, where we have deep and honest conversations about healing, awakening, spirituality, and wellness on the sacred journey of conscious motherhood. We ask how we can walk this path in a way that nourishes, elevates, and heals us and our children. We deserve space and time to slow down and tune in to our hearts, to heal ourselves, and to honor our highest callings. It starts with us. I'm Nahanda Truscott-Reed. I'm a mother, holistic wellness coach, writer, and speaker, and I am passionate about all of the ways we can raise our consciousness and come into more alignment and power as women and mothers. So we can heal the past and make more empowered choices for the future. Our stories and voices matter. It is my intention that these conversations inspire, motivate, and move you on your own Soul Mama journey. I'm so honored that you're here. Today, I'm speaking to Malika Maitland. Malika is a mother, a yoga teacher, and a mama glow full-spectrum doula trainee. She's the co-founder of Spice Harmony Yoga Studio in the Caribbean island of Grenada, where I also have some heritage, and it's also where she lives and works. She's been teaching yoga for over 10 years and is now completing her professional yoga therapy certification. In this conversation, we talk about her experience supporting other women through pregnancy and birth, whilst also being pregnant herself. We talk about the state of birth and hospitals in the Caribbean, and what needs to change. She explores what it means to consciously and mindfully love ourselves through new motherhood and the effects of new parenthood on a relationship. I really hope you feel the sunshine and warmth in this conversation. Welcome, Malaika, to the Soul Mama podcast. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am wonderful. I feel great. I feel so grateful to be here. Well, thank you. I know it's been a long time coming. Um, We obviously met in Grenada, which is my father's homeland, not many, a few months ago now. And it was a really beautiful experience for me, kind of coming back home with my two babies, but then also having the opportunity to do this beautiful event with yourself and Ebony for the Mothers of Grenada. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your journey to where you're at right now um, in terms of how Grenada's played a part in your in your story and how motherhood is changing and shifting things for you right now. Yeah, sure. As you're actually recounting though how we met um, or just the fact of our recent collaboration when you were here, you know, there was so much synchronicity in that as well, because, you know, having you here for that kind of mother's event, I had just become a mother myself um, and working with Ebony and, you know, working with you, even just through seeing what you were putting out online, knowing that there was some alignment there for sure. But then when we met and we realized our sons are born a year apart on the same exact day, February 17th. And I was like, what? And I knew something 
told me when I asked when he was born, like the answer was already there. And I was like, wow. So, you know, so it just felt really good to align with you in that way. So (laughs) definitely. Yeah. It was really beautiful to have that opportunity to do something in what I consider to be going back to to my roots, you know, and to do that with, um, you know, practitioners and mothers there in a, such a beautiful space as Spice Harmony Yoga as well was just a really beautiful opportunity and definitely felt aligned um, on many levels, on many levels. Yeah, thank you for joining us here. Um, yeah, so my journey has been one that really just has unfolded in a way that has felt really natural. Um Right now, my work spans kind of healing, what I see more as like healing justice and healing arts, um, and also still tapping into my creative arts background as well. Because, you know, with a business nowadays, you just have to be creative. And there's so much that art and creativity brings to the table in terms of yoga therapy as well, Um, and birth work. Art can be such a beautiful component of, you know, working with mothers to visualize their births or thinking about, yeah, just how you're kind of putting together your life. Um, But uh, yeah, things unfolded really organically. I I did my yoga teacher training 10 years ago, um, but I had just finished college and um, my undergraduate degree and I graduated in the U.S in 2008, which was basically when the stock market crashed. So it was this big pomp and circumstance, this big graduation. And then we enter into just the worst market for (laughs) new entrants. Exactly. (laughs) And so, um, so yoga became an avenue for giving me some structure in my day. I I started doing yoga at a donation-based studio, but it also helped me to manage stress and also very much pain manage. You know, I was dealing with a lot of chronic pain. I was dealing with um, a chronic lower back issue and being able to practice yoga in that environment was really helpful. Um, even though it was like vinyasa flow and it was very intense and probably I could have picked a different style (laughs) to start with, but I had enough, you know, physical sense of myself to manage fairly well in that environment and get the benefits. And then from there, very quickly after I started teaching, I moved back to the Caribbean. I was in Trinidad for a few semesters doing my master's in cultural studies there because I really wanted to have a tertiary school experience in the Caribbean mm. um, as part of you know this kind of history for me of going back and forth between school systems in the U.S. and school systems in the Caribbean. Um, so to be in Trinidad and start teaching more and realize very quickly that people need therapeutic approaches to yoga. Right. We can get our boot camp anywhere at any gym. You know, that hardline approach to moving your body and cardio is available. But I think yoga offers so many benefits beyond cardiovascular health in that kind of traditional exercise way. However, that is what how a lot of people come to yoga. Yes. Um, but more and more people are actually being referred to yoga by their doctors and by their physios and by their the people in their life who are like, oh, you have something going on. So more and more the recommendation is actually coming from a therapeutic avenue. So now that I've transitioned into yoga therapy um, as my main area of focus, I feel that I'm able to offer a resource that is very limited here in Grenada. Mm-hmm. There's more, more of this kind of holistic and, um, you know, body work being done, but it's still very limited. So 
Yeah. So it, it actually feels very right for me having moved back to the Caribbean with this skill set and now venturing into doula birth work through recognizing with my prenatal yoga class that there are, there's a need for resources there as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what has happened with my career has been kind of responding to these areas of need. You know, you step into the field, but then you see the niche, you see those little spaces that are are longing for kind of passion and and longing for resources. So so yeah, that's kind of how I got to the flow that brought me here. Mm. And you did your doula training with uh, Latham Thomas. Yes. Who is founder of Mama Glow. What triggered that choice? Yeah, well, I I did my first doula training with ICTC, which is International Center for Traditional Childbearing, which is one of the original kind of black run doula trainings. Right. You know, it's a older demographic and um, that started it. And um, and it, it was a beautiful beginning to do that training weekend was a good start. Uh, but then as a few years went by and I hadn't finished up my kind of practical, because with every doula training, you do the training, but you also have to do births as and like writing work as part of the full certification. Yes. So once the time was coming around and I was doing my doula training and yoga therapy co-currently, I, I, be, I became pregnant somewhere along the way. And I wanted to do another training kind of as a gift to myself because I wouldn't have a doula here in Grenada. There's no other doulas. So I did Latham's training in part as a gift to myself, in part as a way to tap into a similar tradition, you know, Latham as a black woman in America, taking on doula work in a very conscious political way was very similar to ICTC, but felt a little more in line with um, my generation and the kinds of digital support that I needed because I was in Grenada. So I didn't feel like I necessarily was able to get as much of that support. And it wasn't as virtual with ICTC, which is also based on the West Coast. And in the US, my base has always been more on the East Coast where Latham is in New York. So it aligned more generationally, locationally, and the fact that they're some of the modules I can do online and that kind of thing. So it felt very good and it felt so beautiful and intimate to be there Mm. and to be able to be, there was another incredible woman who was also pregnant and very much around the same um, stage in her pregnancy as me. And so between the two of us and all the other women in the space, it just felt so magical. Mm. And it reminded me of really the value of support in birth. It is the number one thing. So in Grenada, where a lot of women um, feel anxious about our birthing options here because they're limited, um, it feels so good to know in my heart based on my own birth experience and based on my training that having a support system in place and shoring up not only your external support, but your internal structures of support mean that no matter where you birth and no matter if it was a quote unquote easier, quote unquote difficult birth, um, you are going to feel good (laughs) in hindsight. And as you reflect on your experience, once you have support, and that means that you know, in a way, you have the power. It's mm. not about where you are. It's not about the options that you have of institution or OB or whatever. It means that there's a lot more power in your hands and in the hands of your your community. 
A hundred percent. And I think anything that brings our awareness back to that place of the power that we hold as the mother to be, you know, is the most positive route that we can go down. I don't know if you're aware that there was a report that came out recently in the UK about the statistics of uh, black maternal death and it being five times more likely than a white woman to to die from childbirth related complications. Wow, in the UK that discrepancy is also there, which I'm not really surprised about, but still we haven't heard about it. It's even more than the US. And so even we had thought prior to this report, I think there's an awareness that you're going into a medicalized model and that there are kind of drawbacks that come with that. And obviously the, I guess the hierarchical structures, the assertions of who has power in that situation, and then add into the fact being a black female in a white oppressive system, I think is just another added layer. And so it was really interesting for me to think about how that is in a society where race isn't really the issue. Um, So Grenada is a majority black country. The staff would be black, mostly, I'm assuming. And yet it's still not seen as a favorite choice for a lot of women to birth. Can you speak a little bit as to why that is or kind of historical factors that have kind of led it to the space that it is in now and what other choices women do have around birth? In Grenada, the issue is around kind of resources and our idea of what birth is. So just one or two generations ago, many of us were born in birthing centers, in the other kind of hospitals and clinics around the island, um, at home. And now all of that is kind of being centralized into the one general hospital. Even Karakou, which is one of our small islands where, you know, there's probably a couple thousand people, you know. Um, But even in Karakou, where the hospital there, my husband was born there, um, people you know, were born there. And now more people are still coming down to the general hospital. So the issue in Grenada is one of centralizing births because I think we kind of continue to buy into this idea that we need to have just whatever is available needs to be available because what if something goes wrong? And of course, you want to have resources for women wherever they're birthing. Right. However, the more that we kind of buy into this idea that birth needs to be highly medicalized, um, the more we are putting women at risk for intervention, the more you have situations where people are rushing you because there's a lot of um, crowding or that kind of thing, you know, where somebody might go down there and not immediately get access to a bed in the maternity ward because they're waiting for somebody to check out because it's a space where it's postpartum, it's um, women who are under observation in earlier stages of pregnancy and women who are waiting to escalate into active labor. So the more that things get centralized, the more resources feel stretched in that one area um, and the more crowding you have. So that's, I think, a big part of it. And then our idea of birth, as I was saying, becomes one where it's like, you know, it's dangerous. It is, you know, surgical. You have to be prepared always for surgery. You can't, you know, get to where you need in time where we know that with birthing centers, um, birthing centers are working with low risk mothers. They're monitoring 
They are referring mothers to hospitals who they don't feel comfortable um, supporting there long before labor starts. And that birthing centers have a very um, low rate of hospital transfer. Home births as well, because midwives are also very conscious of taking people who are low risk, which is most, most moms, and monitoring them very closely as the pregnancy progresses. So in Grenada, the options right now, um, unfortunately, are basically the general hospital, which is a public hospital, and um, St. Augustine Medical Center, which is a private hospital. Um, those are the main options here. And um, St. Augustine's fairly expensive because it's private, but you also only have a choice of two OBs. But women who want to know that their doctor is going to be with them want to pick that option often because other than that, when you're down at the general hospital, it's who's on shift. Um, But the difference also at the general hospital is that the nurses, the nurse midwives deliver, whereas at the private hospital, it's the OB has to be there and the nurse midwife is more just operating kind of as a nurse. Um, So, yeah, and then we used to have birthing centers. I... I was born at, so beautiful actually, Chichester's home, which is still an elderly home now, at the time was an elderly home and a birthing center in one. And so I was born there. And so was my brother, who's closest in age to me. And then um, the two youngest ones um, were born, my two youngest siblings were born with Marguerite Sharif, who delivered my son. And one of them was when she still had a birthing center a small like home she transformed into this space where many babies were born and the other was born after she closed her birthing center at home. So home birth was not um, something that was far fetched for me because I know my mom did that with my last um, sibling. Um, And I felt very safe because Marguerite was that midwife. So uh, the option to do home birth when it, when it presented itself, I was very, very grateful because I, at that point I had been assisting births at both hospitals and um, as a doula supporting my clients. And I knew that neither one was my ideal and to have to settle was okay because I knew as long as I had support, it was okay. But it just, you know, I think my issue especially with the general hospital is you cannot have access to support because they feel space is so limited. So you labor alone most of the time, or they send you into the hallway, which is public. There's no sense of like cocooning into your labor process. They send you out to the hallway to like one bench where family members for all the mothers of all stages of labor and postpartum wait in, you know, for the maternity ward. So it's probably enough seats for four or five people for all of these women. And that's also where they send you out to be with your support to labor. So see me now as a doula, like with my little half folded yoga mat and my, you know, old sheet on the floor so I could use the birth ball and they don't feel gross about it being on the ground when they're on it and misting lavender and (laughs) playing a little music on my phone in their headphones and trying to make a cocoon because everybody is walking past, people are coming out the elevator, everyone has something to say. Um, And also the morgue is right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have, again, birth and death together, Interesting, but it can be very intense for you as a waiting party to, you know, if somebody, God forbid, dies in the hospital while you're there, they're going to wheel that body past you 
and into the door that's adjacent to the maternity ward. So some of those little things that are not huge because the staff down there, um, in my experience, is very skilled. There are some really kind and open members of the midwifery community at the hospital there. Um, So the issue is space. The issue is talking to mothers too about you know, whether they would rather people be able to have access to a support person with them or whether they care about privacy because their issue is because space is limited, we need to worry about everyone's privacy. So you can't have your husband here in the labor room Mm -hmm. only come when you're ready to push. But as we know, pushing is usually the last percentage of the labor. Mm -hmm. So that means most of the time in order to be with your partner, you have to go in the hallway And that doesn't really encourage people to come and support you either because it's one metal bench, (laughs) you know, there's not always room and it just doesn't feel like you're always involved. They don't keep you updated. So those are some of the things. And I think that as, um, as a doula, we often have the opportunity to become advocates because you are seeing these different types of things that the administration doesn't necessarily get to see or observe. And you also are getting to talk to mothers and families and see what they really want. So, you know, I think there's room perhaps for me to like do a survey and (laughs) find out from mothers, would you prefer the option to have somebody there supporting you during labor or, you know, is privacy a factor where you would rather not, or, you know, what are the needs? What are the needs? And I think that is really where we are. Um, held up right now is perhaps the model has just been so existent in this way that we're not stopping and saying, wait, is anyone doing a quality assessment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is anyone what's actually working? Yeah, what is working? What do people want? You know? Yeah. And what's and what's not working? Um and having the space to reassess that and to be a doula on the island at that time, I think is just such a beautiful opportunity because it feels like you're at the beginning of a potential shift, right? You know, as there is more awareness and as there is more desire for perhaps more natural approaches to birth, you know, I'm sure the kind of women who come to a yoga studio and start to experience that embodied approach to healing and wellness, if are not mothers already, are going to want to continue that through their motherhood journey. And so I think that's a beautiful kind of bringing together of your, your skills and knowledge in a place that hopefully, you know, will respond well to that. How, how has it gone so far for you? Well, I think one of the, the beautiful things is that um, it's not so, <laughs> it's not so long ago that we were doing things a little differently. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we are kind of at a critical point here where there's enough living, very much living and young memory of births beyond this hospital environment that it currently is. And so with that um, that kind of cultural understanding and public understanding there, even though there's still a lot of fear and stuff around birth and um, you know labor and delivery, there is also a lot of, optimism and a lot of vision outside of that. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So, so I think it is a critical point to step in and say, okay, Hey, (laughs) there's some other options. Are we going down a path? Yeah. That is really necessary or does it make sense to build up our, you know, NICU and build up our emergency services for birth and also build up our kind of space for more dynamic birth because actually they would be able to move the crowd through the hospital faster 
if they had more space for laboring that was active, you, know, you had your birth balls, you had your, you, know, you have a, a cozy space that you can actually go through your labor in. It doesn't mean everyone has to have a private room like that. If you had one room that just had some privacy, some, you know, birthing tools that people shared collectively, but that wasn't the hallway, births would be going faster. The research shows that. Exactly. And also maybe what if, if the issue is space and privacy, perhaps the hospital needs to consider training a few doulas to be on staff. So if you're not going to allow the, the you know, husband in there because you don't want a man in there or the, the family, the mother of the mother because of space, then maybe you having your people on staff who their job is the emotional, physical support, not nurses who are also busy with other things, I understand, you know, maybe that makes sense. So I think it is, as you said, and, or, you know, as you were highlighting, it's that question of what is working and what's not working. And, and sometimes I know going down there with my first client, a few of the nurses like looked up, what is it? You're a doula? <laughs> they Googled it. <laughs> um, you know, cause I go in there like with my clipboard, um, <laughs> looking like I really belong there. <laughs> I have a bat, like an ID that I made for myself. <laughs> yes. And it's having that balance between having the respect and having the officialness so that you can liaise mm-hmm. in the correct way with the staff. And then also knowing that you're bringing a comp- completely different, you know, approach to birth and a completely different energy around it. Well, and let me, let me just say too, as you're saying that it makes me think of the fact that this is also, it's about being really thoughtful Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people who move back home to the Caribbean or who move to the Caribbean as an ancestral home, um, not a lot of people, but some people have this challenge of, oh, you know, people are just not willing to listen to me. They want to do things their own way or they're threatened by me. So they're shutting me out or they don't see me as Grenadian Caribbean enough. So they're shutting me out. And, you know, all those dynamics could be there, but I think there's a level of needing to be really thoughtful about how you engage with people, Mm -hmm. not in a patronizing way, but in a human to human way and think about, okay, what is going to help me to build rapport, build relationship and not just come in here and say, well, listen, I know this is right Right. and you are wrong. So this is how it needs to be done because this is the way it needs to be done. You know, that approach doesn't work anywhere. And so for me, it is also about using a diplomatic kind of (laughs) approach because also I can't come up in here and ruin a dynamic or a relationship when I have a birthing mother that I need to be taken care of. of. So I need to be very, very thoughtful about how I engage with you so that you're going to treat my client with as much respect and loving support as possible. Mm. Um, And it doesn't matter what I feel or what my ego has to say or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so I've been, because I'm, I'm, just beginning to do births in Grenada. Um, you know, I'm just at the beginning of my doula journey. I'm, I'm in the training process with Latham still. So I'm doing my births towards certification and my book reports and these things. And so it is about taking my time and slowly building relationships in the hospital and, you know, allowing that to, yeah, make the process move more smoothly. Got you. Got you. And thank you for the work that you're doing and continuing to do just on this 
this path of birth and and your own personal journey and bringing you know your yoga therapy and and everything that you've kind of gone through into this space um and obviously Samori is quite young so how has that transition to motherhood in this first year not even um been for you it is a challenge in a lot of ways to be in this transition. Mm. Um, you know, I feel very grateful that my husband and I have been through a whole decade of exploring and understanding and navigating each other um, before before this, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> because it gave us such a. a understanding of each other that you know there's a level of being able to then say okay this too shall pass and okay like we're both slightly sleep deprived and okay like we just need to like hold each other in this and also ask for what we need Mm. um because even before Samori um you know the question was how do we make sure that our life doesn't just become about like managing logistics of cohabitation and it's so easy to do oh my gosh it is so easy. You know, did this get done? Can we do this? Exactly. What about this? You want to do this thing? This is that. It just, and then it's like the actual meat of the conversation that is what brought you together gets lost. So we, you know, I appreciate that there are these spaces for us to check in and, and communicate what we need. And sometimes you always don't want to hear what the other person needs, but you need to hear it, you know? <laughs> So it's been really interesting, you know, because they're like, well, I have needs and I don't even have energy for those. Um, <laughs> but it's it's so beautiful to have a strong enough relationship to actually be able to to, to go through it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so so being able to then lean into that as I navigated my own feelings around, like I remember thinking, well, you know, my work is so fulfilling and so light in the grand scheme of things like yeah I can work until I go into labor you know I had friends who were like lawyers or whatever and they're like I worked until the day I went into labor or people would ask are you gonna work up you know it's almost like this is like what you need to do and especially because you know I'm just teaching a few classes and clients a week you know whatever it's fine but there was a certain point and I'm so I should have taken that point even earlier now that I think now I'm like why (laughs) but there was a point just a few weeks before giving birth um I was due at the end of February and and around the middle of January, I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm good. (laughs) But then I gave birth mid February. So it's good. You know that I gave, imagine if I was like in the middle of February thinking now I'm going to stop. And then I gave birth. Exactly. (laughs) So I I was happy. I gave myself that space because, but I, I still was dealing with guilt, you know? So where does this guilt about rest and being able to switch off and honor our bodies and honor our needs. Like, where does this come from? You know, we hear about mum guilt, but this is pre-motherhood. And I think this is for women generally. Um, what, what, where do you think that comes from for you? <laughs> you know, my mom is a superwoman kind of mom, right? Okay. So I think that model, <laughs> that model was there. You know, she's a doctor. She did a double specialty. She's a yoga teacher. She has four kids and had us all along her like 
educational journey with my dad, you know, like the list goes on. She has hobbies. (laughs) She and my dad work out three times a week at the butt crack of dawn. Like, you know, there's this whole list of on paper where it's like check, 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 check. Right. That, you know, I would struggle when I felt exhaustion with no kids and, you know, what was seen as a less stressful career. And none of this was um, overtly coming from her, especially not now that I'm older, but like subconsciously the model is there. And so I think that, of course, we all see those models around us, but having it be my mother who I'm looking up to and I'm seeing all this action and drive. And so, um, you know, that definitely was a model that I had before me, but at the same time, my mother never wanted that any of us follow her path unless we wanted to. So people would say, Oh, are you going to kids going to be doctors or, and she's like, only if they want, you know, this is definitely for those who want it. Otherwise it is very, very hard and very, you know, emotionally draining, which it already is, even if you're passionate about it. So I appreciate that there was always this level of trust that my parents gave me to drive myself and to follow my passions. My first degree was in studio arts and they just were like, yeah, do, do it, you know? Mm. Um, And then moving from there and following my mom and doing my yoga teacher training and us opening this yoga studio together. I think, you know, because I'm my own boss, it becomes this whole head trip of, you know, how much should I work? How much should I rest? Am I doing enough? Constantly trying to organize myself and so that I'm more effective so I can still be spontaneous and I can still rest. And, and so, yeah, you're right. There's definitely a pre motherhood. And now there's a whole new project that has many working parts, Mm -hmm. um, that requires you to literally even stay alive. So now, (laughs) you know, now it's next level. Mm. Um, but it's beautiful because I think for me, you know, um, one of the questions that you had kind of mentioned as you were talking about preparing for this podcast was what has motherhood awakened in you? And I think what came up for me when I kind of thought of that question was motherhood really awakened a new wave of motivation towards being my best self Mm. because this being has come into the world and there's this idea that I need to raise him, but really he's here to raise me in a way, you know, his presence is already, um, amplifying some intergenerational baggage for both my husband and I, that we kind of maybe got glimpses of before in our relationship, but somehow now that we have created our next generation, it is magnified. And so now we are, at a place where we've decided not to just replicate that um, in a in our own parenting, but to use it as an opportunity to say, okay, how do I get a little bit closer to um, enlightenment for me and for the generations that have come mm-hmm. before me? Um, because I think that's somehow this seems like that critical point where the cycle is either create um, replicated or used as um, a launching pad for something new and something different. And so in our parents have set the groundwork, both in, um, models of what we 
don't want to replicate, but also models of what we do want to mm. replicate. So now we're at this place where we can choose looking at ourselves first, because it really is about doing your internal work. So you keep showing up yes. in the best possible way, even when you're triggered, because your children are going to trigger you because it is stressful <laughs> but I feel like that's exactly what their work is like it like they just come with exactly the right ingredients to trigger everything mm -hmm. that's been unresolved and there is that opportunity if you're parenting in a conscious and intentional way to really face those things as triggering as they are and as difficult as they are in the moment you know but yeah. really forces you to to, to make some choices and to bring that level of awareness into it and be like, okay, so what am I, what am I showing up as, you know, who am I showing up as and what am I choosing to continue and what am I choosing to let go of? And so it's really beautiful that you kind of describe it in that way. Cause that's exactly how it feels for me. And I know that there are some days where I'm just like enough of the work. Mm -hmm. Like I just want to mm -hmm. rest. I don't want to mm -hmm. have to think about this, you know, being conscious about every area of my life feels sometimes so draining like absolutely you know, from whether it's the food that we eat or the way that we recycle or the clothes that I'm choosing them to wear or the words that we use or it's like it goes mm -hmm. so deep um and then at the same time it's this wonderful awakening and opportunity to really get clear as to the version that you're really wanting to step into and so the fact that you're in a partnership and in a family that is supportive of that and you're in a stage in your life where you're able to kind of go into that in a clear kind of focused way, I think is just an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you see, I'm, I'm so happy that that has been a tradition for us in our relationship from the jump that right. growth, like a growth mentality is at the heart of it. So we have both done things that have been hurtful and that have been damaging to just what it is we're trying to build. But because there is a consciousness and an ability to look at ourselves and each other and work through it and talk through it and not just accept that this is just who I am, but rather who I am at the core is pure love and pure light. And that is there. So I'm actually not even trying to grow and change anything. It's just kind of trying to dust off and clean off and get to the core that already exists, which also makes it feel more accessible because it is. I'm not actually evolving into anything. I'm clearing off. I'm you know, making the path for what is already true. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think also, uh, when I think about parenting, it becomes, even though it is like, I'm so sick of the work, the work, the work <laughs> of, you know, I'm doing the work, I'm self-caring. Um, um, I also think when I look at parenting as, okay, this is just another, like, practice ground for working towards uncovering this higher self, it becomes more doable because then I don't have to perfect anything because then a lot of ways there are all these skill sets, right? Breastfeeding and pumping in a safe and proper way, you know, preparing food, yeah. baby letting or purees or both or daycare or no daycare. I mean, there's no blueprint and there's no right way. So if I say, okay, all of this is just an opportunity to practice being 
my best self and seeing what shows up and apologizing when necessary and, you know, taking responsibility and whatever, 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 then it becomes, okay, yeah, I could do that because I'm, I've been, I've been trying that already. It's, you know? it's, it's just an extension of the journey that you're already on. And it sounds like yeah. you were both on together. And so this is just a continuation of that of sorts. Um, and so let's get real then. What does the work look like and what does self-care look like for you? Yeah, the work for me, um, you know, is patience, <laughs> I would say. I mean, I'm patient, everyone, oh, patience. Um, but I, I definitely can relate to this kind of low-grade irritability that can set in when I'm feeling depleted, when I'm feeling like I'm not honoring. A lot of times it's also when I'm not honoring my work I want to do in this world. Um, then there's a way that that feeling like I don't have, I'm not prioritizing, I'm making space and time for that, even prior to having a baby. Um, made it harder to feel balanced otherwise. Mm. Uh, and working on patience comes up a lot for me when I think, when I set my intentions with meditation and yoga, but also um, digestion. <laughs> and I mean that in the, in the metaphoric sense, mostly not so much my physical digestion, which that too, these two are obviously related. Um, I don't have digestive upsets, but it's more like, what am I putting in to my body? Am I being conscious about that? Um, am I giving myself the fuel I really need? But I think digestion on the level of, am I digesting my experiences? Am I taking in my experiences and pulling the nutrients out, pulling the lessons out, pulling out the clarity and the insight and letting go of the rest, mm. right? Letting go of the waste, not holding on to the baggage. and so. For me, when I think about my work, I think optimal digestion mm. <laughs> sums it up because really if I'm digesting, yeah, if I, and I think that that comes from a yoga therapy approach for sure. Like uh, I think there's this vision in yoga, um, yoga therapy and Ayurveda that much of the disease on an emotional and physical level in our body comes from indigestion mm. on a physical, spiritual, energetic level, the inability to digest what's happening, the inability to detoxify or take in or whatever. Isn't that inability trauma? I would say, um, I would say yes, but that's not the only, I wouldn't say that that's the only way, way that that manifests. So yes, there's trauma. There's like too much. I can't process it. I'm reliving the experience every day in my body and mind or, you know, frequently in my mind. So I'm not letting it out. I'm holding on. Mm. But I think it, sometimes it's not as even as major as quote unquote trauma. It's the everyday things that build up um, that we're not letting go that those small, small ways and those small stories that we are repeating to ourselves that seem so benign, that also seem so true, that are really stories but we have told ourselves that this is the truth this this thing that i tell myself about my partner is the truth that's just how he is this is the truth about how my child is this is the truth about my relationship to my work but these stories are actually um often <laughs> not the whole truth mm -hmm. um they are a piece of it but the 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 experience of that might change entirely if i switch up the story yeah um 
And if I kind of take a different approach and if I see it as a story <laughs> as well, because then I can not judge myself for it, but know that this is kind of how we process life. We do it in these bite-sized pieces and we try to make sense of it, but that's just part of the picture. And I guess doing that also creates more space because then you're not so invested in the kind of the things that aren't going the way that they should we're not so mm-hmm. invested in the shoulds because then there's space between, okay, and what's the story that I'm telling myself about this thing, person, circumstance? And that then allows some breathing room to just be like, hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that makes sense. And what, would you, and what would you say to a friend who was going through that and saying this particular story? So if you see it as a story and then you can then transplant it on someone else and think, okay, if my best friend, this, this, and this happened to her same way, and she was telling herself this about herself and this about her man, what would some of my thoughts be about that? And often it's different than what we say to ourselves. Of course. (laughs) And turning on that inner kindness is so crucial. Sometimes the potential for all of the negative inner critic voices that we already hold feel like they ramp up times 10 once there's a baby demanding your attention because then all of those... Mm -hmm feelings are down to, am I good enough for this child? Not just like, am I good enough full stop, right? It's like, am I being the good enough wife, mother, everything to everyone that I should be? Um, And it's so easy to kind of go down that rabbit hole of negative self-talk and criticism, especially if you've got archetypes of motherhood around you that are seemingly perfect or, you know, really hard to replicate. And it's like, we need the spaces to kind of be kind to ourselves in those moments and just realize we are where we are. And there could be some different choices around the stories that we're telling ourselves around that. So I think that's a really, really key part in healing and in that kind of self-care what other ways um does self-care kind of play out for you in terms of just finding some balance and space for self has that felt possible yeah the more that so therapy has been amazing (laughs) and that's something that I've decided to invest in a few months ago because I really was committed to getting support to really work through um with with tools and, um, you know, practical approaches, um, work through some of what was coming up for me because that's fundamental. And so even with all the new baby, you know, kind of expenses or things to think about, I just said, no, (laughs) therapy is going to be something I invest in. And it's an investment too, because it is Um, you know, I'm doing sessions via zoom like Mm. this. Um, I'm doing sessions online with someone in the States. So their fees are in us dollars and living in the Caribbean. That's not easy, Mm. but Grenada is a small place. A lot of, I would say I have a relationship with mm, most of the major kind of therapists and stuff here, whether they refer people to me or whatever it is that I wanted an option outside of that and more tools. Um, So I think making sure to invest in therapy has been wonderful. And I'm really happy that I'm in a place where I can make that a priority because I think we can all use support and there's, there's still a lot of stigma around that, but unfortunately no one is teaching us how to have relationships. No one is teaching us how to, you know, navigate, um, being in a new family or being an entrepreneur and balancing all your stuff, you know? So I'm also, I appreciate that the woman I do therapy with also has a lot of background in like business support. So 
for me, all of that is interlinked. So it feels really great to have someone who also has a lot of business sense. And because these, the personal and the business are very linked for me. Mm. Um, and then self-care also looks like recommitting, you know, a practice is a practice in all kinds of ways. A yoga practice is not just practice because you're showing up on the mat. It's also a practice in trying to show up on the mat. (laughs) So, you know, as I fall off of these day-to-day practices of yoga or meditation or dry brushing or tongue scraping or eating in this way or drinking water, for me, it's just the more that I can recommit and come back to it and recommit and come back to it and not let dropping off be like, you know what? I'm never going to write in my journal, so I'm just never going to try again. But okay, like I still failed at writing. But And if every time I go back to my journal, I start with, it's been a while, but I'm recommitting, then whatever, I'm trying. <laughs> oh, that is so me. Literally, every time I sit at the journal, I'm like, wow, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> Trust me. So for me, that is the, the heart of this self-care or balanced journey is mm-hmm. recognizing it is all a it's all a stop and start. I mean, some of us really nail down the daily routine, but 90% of us, I'm not using facts on this, but just like <laughs> intuition. I'll go with it. I'll 90% of us, yeah, are kind of in some level of starting and stopping, starting and stopping. Mm. And I think those of us who are um, most successful are those who say, okay, you know, it's okay to keep showing up even if I've stepped away for a while. And so that's where I'm at now. I feel I'm very grateful to myself that I didn't put all of this snap back pressure on myself after having Samori. And it may have been because I felt very good physically during the pregnancy that then I wasn't in a rush to get back to myself because I felt like myself during the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So that may have been part of it for sure. Um, but I actually feel very grateful that one of my girlfriends told me that she gained her weight during breastfeeding because that's something I had never heard before. And everyone talks about breastfeeding makes you lose weight. But for me, I actually gained my weight after pregnancy. Mm. Um, you know, Samori seven months now, but I feel like the weight that I gained is really afterwards. And I think, I feel grateful that I gave myself the space and the room to do what my body felt I needed and to not be um, overly like thinking about eating because my milk felt good. You know, there were some periods of what felt like lower supply, probably my hormones were fluctuating a little bit, but overall I just could let myself be and trust myself and let the softness come and feel good with that. And now that Samori is almost 20 flipping pounds, I feel the draw to like come back to being more physical, to be more conscious of regaining my core strength and my physical body strength so that my body can support this giant little munchkin. I know, right? Um, (laughs) It grows so quickly. I'm just like, what? So I'm out here trying to build my strength because of necessity. And so I feel really grateful to be in a place in my life and in a place in my love and in a place in my being that, you know, things can move in those organic ways that I don't have to be like, I got to look a certain way. I'm a yoga teacher. I need to show them this is how you No, 
that never really crossed my mind <laughs> mm, <laughs> and I, I feel that. really happy for that yeah <laughs> and I actually missed my tummy I was so happy that it stuck around just for a little you know that postpartum belly where you're kind of still looking pregnant uh, yeah just the, especially in those first few days I just you know I actually shared something on Instagram a little bit after Samori was born that the second day after he was born I walked outside this was probably the first time I went outside the property just a step to let somebody in who had to drop you know a shipment here for us and the woman the old woman in the car that stopped for this guy to take off his stuff that I was holding Samori new new as can be in my little wrap and she was like you had to break down that belly mm. <laughs> and I remember just thinking wow, we really don't know how to just say congrats or share love because this woman was acknowledging this new baby and she was doing it with what for her was maybe advice, but also clearly just negative body shaming. And also here I was feeling so grateful that my belly didn't disappear yet. It was day two and I was so happy that I had this evidence of mm. my body being a home for Samori. So I was on a whole next level. It didn't, it did not trigger me. I just thought, wow, there is really a culture of not being able to just say, congratulations. I see you have a new being. Leave space, right? I feel like that whole uh, rush to snap back or this pressure that is either put on ourselves or, you know, through other people's expectations is just, it's, it's like denying the chapter. It's like we're in a chapter. There, It takes time. Like allow ourselves to be in the moment. I almost coming back to your idea about the digestion, like don't rush the, the stages. Like just let that happen naturally. It will happen mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. And almost the, the slower that we can allow that process to happen, um, the stronger the return is going to be, the stronger the recovery is going to be. So I'm mm-hmm. really glad that you were in a position where that didn't trigger you because I know for so many women, it's comments like that and other people's judgments that compound any feelings of, you know, self-doubt or, you know, worrying about our own body image. And so the fact that you're in that strong place and now feeling able to kind of step into this more strengthening functional way is a beautiful journey. And don't get me wrong. (laughs) I definitely have my moments, (laughs) you know? Um, So I just want to absolutely put that out there that I'm not out here like, yes, you know, every moment of every day, but you know, overall the feeling of secureness in my being um feels great (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so to come into this I guess this last question like what is next for you you know in a in a professional sense but also in your next stage of motherhood in relation to my next steps professionally I'm just so happy I'm right on the path that I want to be on. So looking to support more births in Grenada. Um, it feels so great to have this prenatal yoga class that is a space for women to really embody themselves and move and breathe and connect to one another on amazing just levels of positive discussion. Um, and 
that is such a beautiful kind of segue into my doula work and that's what inspired it. So I'm happy that, you know, I can create these different pools and levels of support for people, levels of being able to support them based on their um, need and their financial capacity, et cetera. Um, I'm also looking to begin to train other yoga teachers soon. Hopefully within the next year, I want to start a teacher training because we could use more teachers here. My parents and I are both, my parents are both teachers and so am I. So at Spice Harmony Yoga, we are the teachers, um, which is beautiful. However, we are expanding space, breaking ground on a whole new project of supporting the local community of in terms of wellness and you know entrepreneurship and third space like a space beyond kind of work and home and i would say church in the caribbean too mm-hmm. that's a, another kind of part of that um triangle home work church we want to create this other space of being able to say okay where else can you be besides where can you meet people besides a FET or a one-off event so we're looking to expand because the studio is such a like nexus point of people connecting um, to serve both the local community and international communities who are looking to travel for wellness. So that's breaking ground next year. And it feels like such a, just such a necessary step because I also want to facilitate people like yourself and others who are looking to be in group, who are looking to share their work. I think facilitation is at the heart of, you know, my vision because I don't, I want to receive mm-hmm. <laughs> from others. I want to learn, but I also don't want to always have the onus be on me because I, I also would like to live and enjoy my family and do all these things. So mm-hmm. making the space available for others is important. So that's coming as well. And needing more teachers for that definitely is part of why I'm doing a teacher training. And because we also need more teachers outside of St. George's. St. George's is the capital parish here in Grenada. And that's where all the yoga is. Our studio is the only studio that's not at a hotel. So even more so all the studios are down in the tourist area. Ours is in the community where my dad is originally from, where I grew up um, before I moved up to the States. And, um, So to be back in that community serving is great, but we're still close to the capital. And I want to have more teachers who are out in the other parts of the island to make yoga more accessible. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would love more yoga teachers here. I would love more doulas here. I'm of the the idea that there's abundance. You know, these things are about vibes. People are going to pick who they want to pick. And we need communities to help keep us strong to have backups, to have substitute teachers, to have all those things that make the thing more sustainable. Definitely. Um, So that's, yeah, the work vision is, is, you know, looking like that. And in terms of motherhood and wifehood, it's just really about those intentional times together, more hiking, more beach. Um, Richie and I just went on a hike with some of our good friends and it was so amazing. And it just felt like yoga in action. I was like, this is why we move. This is why we work out. And this is what feels good working out. Not necessarily being in a gym, like a little hamster on a wheel, but actually like stepping on stones and like (laughs) literally rappelling (laughs) down a rope that you just have to trust that whoever tied this on this tree, whenever um, did a good job because we were, had to like use a rope to go down a cliff. We had to use a rope to go up a cliff. Wow. But also just the nature, <laughs> like just hearing you speak about it and knowing what the, the lusciousness of, of the, the nature in Grenada is like, I'm just like, yes, that like, that's 
I guess an aspect that anybody living in a city kind of really misses out on you know that actually movement in nature is health is wellness um and that's one of the things that I really resonated with and miss so much and that's why listen that was a big part of why I chose to move back home that wasn't the only thing you know I think a big part of it for me felt like having experience back and forth between Grenada and the States, different school systems, different ages, you know, always moving back and forth. It felt great. I got all this perspective, but at the same time, you know, it showed me that the context of Grenada, the physical environment just fed me so much. And also if all of these rich people are coming down to buy up all this land in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. why am I going to be rushing away from this? Exactly. <laughs> you know, this exactly. environment is life. It's medicine. It life. <laughs> yes. It definitely, definitely is. And thank you for giving us a slice of that. Um, this conversation I can feel that energy just radiating from you just that heat I'm like being in the cold of London right now I'm just like reassessing my whole life's cho- choices um I know. So, trust me I there's think- space for you here there's space for all of us here thank you you know and what I noticed what I also noticed is there is this wave of people who are trying to move out of the global north mm. and um it's beautiful to see because I think what I always have said is what 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 is missing from small places and not just small places outside of the global north even the small towns in the global north is that you know all the people that move to a place all the immigrants in a place are what make it this dynamic Mm. hub you know london new york all these cities are amazing because of all the people who have moved there from all over the u.s but also from all over the world and and i think all that these environments need is consciously created you know, space for cross-pollination and interaction. Um, and then, you know, the light infrastructure here and there and those things can come, but the, the physical environment is already here. Exactly. So what small conscious changes do we make to help, you know, create the social and, you know, f- um, structural environment to support, you know, a healthy, loving, engaged society? Mm, it sounds like utopia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in the where can people find you so um you can find me on instagram malika maitland um that's probably my most active social media space even though lately motherhood i'm just i couldn't really care less but it's useful i love connecting with people lovely seeing your updates you know see yeah when i get to them nowadays but yeah but i enjoy i just love the the engagement um the conversations the way moms and non-moms and just people have been sharing their stories and connecting. I love that. So mm. Malika Maitland at Instagram, but also I'm on Twitter, Malika Maitland. And my website is malikamaitland.com. Perfect. And yeah, I look forward to connecting with all of you who are listening and to also hearing the other interviews on this podcast. I can't wait. I know you've got some incredible women, so I'm really looking forward to taking it all in. It's been a pleasure just having space and time with so many women that I respect and just hearing everybody's different kind of aspects and experiences of motherhood. I think that was what drove me to begin this podcast in the first place is just having, you know, more of these deep conversations in a real and honest way you know, for our greatest healing. So thank you for sharing your gifts with us. Um, And let's the conversation continue.
Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor. Thank you so much. And love to your family as well. You too. Take care. Next week, I'll be speaking to Akila Richards from Fair of the Free Child, where we will talk all things unschooling, liberation, and rethinking our whole approach to parenting and education. Until then, stay blessed. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to soulmamajourney.com for more resources and ways I can support you on your own conscious motherhood journey. For more inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at soulmamacoach. Also get in touch via email through nahanda at soulmamajourney.com. I love to hear from you, what you thought, what you gained. Please take a moment to rate this podcast wherever you've listened to it and please share with others you know who would benefit from this conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you. This podcast was produced by myself and Chris James. Music by my talented friend, Ayana Witter-Johnson. 